Hello, and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. All right, welcome to week 46. We are in Matthew 27 through 28, Mark 15 through 16, Luke 23 through 24, and John 18 through 21, and Acts 1 through 8. Our timeline is 30 to 31 AD. We'll start off in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 18 through 19. So after the Sanhedrin decide that they will put Jesus to death, they gather him up to go to Pilate. This is because the Jews were ruled by Rome and therefore could not put anyone to death. Rome had to do it. So they had to take Jesus to Pilate, who's the governor of the area, so that he will condemn Jesus and put him to death. After this is set in motion, Judas realizes exactly what he has done and tries to reverse it, but it is too late. He throws the 30 pieces of silver that he received to betray Jesus into the temple and leaves. He goes to a place and hangs himself. The chief priest picks up the money and knows they can't use it in the temple again, so they buy a potter's field where people who are too poor to buy burial sites get buried along with everyone else. And it gets the moniker Field of Blood. And this fulfills the scripture of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Before Jesus has brought him, Pilate's wife has a dream and is warned not to have anything to do with Jesus's death. She warns her husband, but alas. Jesus is brought to Pilate who asks him if he is king of the Jews and Jesus just responds with, you have said so. Pilate hears all that the Sanhedrin is accusing Jesus of, and Pilate can't believe that Jesus is not saying anything about this and asks him why he doesn't respond. But Jesus doesn't respond to him, which floors Pilate further. Pilate learns that Jesus is actually under King Herod's jurisdiction and sends him over to where Herod is at in Jerusalem. Now, Herod, of course, was really curious about Jesus. After all, he had killed his cousin John the Baptist. But Jesus gave him nothing, and so Herod and his soldiers mocked him, dressed him, and sent him back to Pilate. And we find out that's when Pilate and Herod became friends, almost like a match made in hell, kids. Now, it was Pilate's custom at the Passover festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. Pilate's thinking, why would anyone want to see Jesus die? He literally hasn't done anything wrong. But the high priests were able to get the crowd whipped up to choose Barabbas, who literally led a rebellion and murdered people. And Pilate is bewildered by this. Plus, Jesus wasn't accused of anything like what Barabbas actually did. So he asks what they want him to do, and they cry back at Pilate to crucify Jesus. Pilate literally washes his hands, showing symbolically that he is washing his hands of the whole affair and is not responsible for Jesus' blood, but then hands Jesus over to be flogged and then crucified. The Roman soldiers mock Jesus. They make him up to look like a king, even though his body is now badly beaten. And the piece de la resistance is the crown of thorns that they twist together to put on Jesus' head by jamming it down on the top of his head, the sides, and the forehead, making sure that as many thorns as possible dig into his flesh. Then they continue to ridicule and spit on him. After all this horrific physical violence done to him, Jesus is now meant to carry his own cross, which was anywhere between 165 to 300 pounds, depending on how solid and thick the wood used was. He was then to carry that over half a mile to the final destination of Golgotha. So it is little wonder that he stumbled and ultimately had to have help carrying his cross as all the physical blows he took would have weakened him immensely. 
Jesus is then placed on the cross where his body was bound to the wood and nails, which think more like railroad spikes for what the nails were, were hammered into his wrists and ankles to keep him there. And then the cross would have been hoisted up. And the way that crucifixion worked was because your arms are flat out, you can't bring them in to make your lungs rise and therefore get a breath. So the only way to do that, the only way to get a breath was to pull on the nails and either bring your arms up or pull on the nails at your ankles to pull your body up to try and take a breath. So you suffocated to death. And not only does Jesus endure that, but they put a sign above his head in a mocking way that king of the Jews, and they cast lot for his clothes, which was written in Psalms twenty-two eighteen. And Jesus' answer to all of this, all of this, was a prayer to God in which he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He also makes sure that his mother Mary is taken care of and has John, or as John writes, the disciple whom he loved, Take that job. As Jesus is struggling on the cross, he is put up with two thieves and one who has absolutely no room to talk as he is suffering the same fate as Jesus starts making fun of him. The other thief, appalled by this, chastises the first man and then asks Jesus to remember him when Jesus comes into his kingdom and Jesus assures him that today you will be with me in paradise. At about three in the afternoon, we know Jesus is coming to the end and he cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And we know that God had to turn away from his son as all the sins of the world were put on Jesus and God cannot look at sin. Jesus says, it is finished. Then he cries out to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus gives up his spirit. And as he does that, the curtain at the temple, the one covering the Holy of Holies, was torn in two from the top down. There was an earthquake, tombs broke open, bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and when the centurions, the Roman guards, saw all of this, they cried out in fear, proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, I can't even imagine what it's like for everyone to see all those dead people, but uh, we're going to brush right over that. So they end up burying Jesus in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Now, the Pharisees had heard Jesus say that he would rise in three days. So they wanted to make sure that there were guards around the tomb so that no one could steal the body and lie and say that he was still alive. And all we have to say to uh, the Sanhedrin is there is, thanks for the witnesses, boys. Now, in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 through 21, after Jesus is crucified and buried, the disciples have all fled to safety so the Pharisees wouldn't kill them as well. And they all had to be home for the Passover and Sabbath. Lord knows what they're feeling and doing for these three days. We don't we don't know, and the Bible doesn't say. But after all of this, on the third day, Mary Magdalene makes her way to Jesus's tomb so that she can care for his body since he wasn't able to be cared for as Passover had been approaching and all Jews had to get home. She gets there and sees that the stone that had been placed in front of the tomb was removed from the entrance. So she runs to the disciples and tells them that they had taken Jesus out, but she didn't know where he went. I mean, understandably, probably thinking that either the Pharisees or the Roman government had the stone moved and the body stolen. Meanwhile, the guards that were there at the tomb report everything that happened to the Pharisees. So the first lie of Jesus's resurrection takes place right then because they pay the soldiers to tell anyone willing to listen that his disciples came and stole the body in the middle of the night. After Mary Magdalene reaches the men, the disciples go running. And of course, John talks about how he, the one whom Jesus loved, beat Peter to the tomb. 
But because Peter acts first and thinks later, he actually goes into the tomb and sees the strips of linen lying there and the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. Others finally met up with John and Peter and went in to see what Peter was looking at. The disciples leave as they don't know what to make of it either. Mary is still outside of the tomb and is crying over this new development. And as she looks in to see the leftover linen, she sees two angels in white now sitting at the head and foot of where Jesus had laid. They ask her why is she crying and she says they have taken her Lord away. And she turns around to another man who also asks her why she is crying and she repeats her lament and that she doesn't know where they put Jesus. And the man, whom she mistakes for a gardener, and she's like, you know where they took him, let me know so I can go. And finally he says, Mary. And she realizes it is Jesus and reaches out for him. Jesus stops her and says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary runs to the disciples to tell them the good news. Jesus then appears physically to the disciples who are still scared and hiding behind locked doors. Now, not all of them are in this room, but the ones who are absolutely rejoice when they realize it's him. Can't even imagine the joy and happiness to see Jesus again. Then he appears a little bit later, but this is so Thomas can see him because when the disciples told the others about Jesus coming back, Thomas was like, "Uh uh-huh, I believe nothing until I see where they pierced him. Jesus encourages Thomas to touch him, to feel the wounds, and then tells him to believe. And of course Thomas does, because there's all the proof. And Jesus tells them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. After this, Jesus meets up with the disciples again as they are back doing what they did before they met Jesus fishing. However, they aren't catching anything, and before they know it's Jesus, they hear a man tell them to throw their nets to the right side. So they do, and when it becomes full of fish, Peter realizes it is Jesus who called out to him and starts swimming and running to him. Jesus was making them a meal and tells the other disciples once they get closer with the boat and fish to bring over the fish. After they finish eating, Jesus restores Peter. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And by the third, Peter is just in anguish and cries out that Jesus knows he loves him. But I want you to notice that the three questions correspond with Peter's three denials. And Jesus then gives Peter his mission, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This time also starts a rumor that John won't die, but uh, that's not true. (laughs) However, when we get to to John's other writings, we'll discuss what really happened to him and that he did, in fact, die. Uh, Jesus then gives the disciples the great commission to go out and spread the good news of what had happened and of what Jesus's actions mean. Then we get into the book of Acts. Uh, We'll start in chapters one through three. First, a quick note for those who don't know, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, even though Paul, whom we'll meet soon, wrote more books in the New Testament. It was Luke who has the most words. And since he was a doctor, he was very thorough in his description of all of what happened, which is why he beats Paul. Anyway, just a little side note, fun. Uh, So before Jesus ascends to his father in heaven, he gives several instructions and final words to his disciples. The first being they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they ask him if he was going to restore the Israel kingdom because as they had learned since they were babies, that was what the Messiah would do. But Jesus responds with, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus was taken up. Of course, they're still looking up, and I would be too, when two men, presumably angels, stand beside them and ask why they're still looking up at the sky and explain, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the main disciples, the women, and then everyone else went back to an area to stay together. And we find out that after Judas hung himself, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Thank you so much for that description, Luke. Anyway, so Peter speaks up and explains that they need another disciple to replace Judas. So they nominate Matthias and another man called Joseph. You can see why there are so many other names attached to like Simon, Peter, all that, so that no one gets confused about which one they're talking about. Anyway, they cast lots and Matthias is added to the other 11. Then at the day of Pentecost, which quickly broken down is 50 days after Passover. And since this Passover was so big, you know, Jesus literally being the Lamb of God and died for all, this Pentecost was different too in that the Holy Spirit comes. And while it comes originally with what looks like tongues of flame, it seems scary and cool. I really kind of wish that still happened, day, but this was the only time it did, and just like the disciples, it is part of our faith journey. Now, emboldened with the Holy Spirit, and not spirits as an alcohol, thank you to all those who thought so that day, Peter gets up and preaches to the crowd about Jesus, but he uses the Old Testament scriptures and the crowd that the crowd would have known to make his point. See? Holy Spirit already at work. 3,000 people were added to their number that day, and they started a community together, kind of like a commune and that they sold their property and possessions and used that money and their skills to live together. But this was less stick it to the man philosophy as much as we absolutely have to live together or we will literally die as individuals. And that is because they would have been cut off from the temple at that point and no one would have bought anything from them, and there is no way they would have been able to make a living and survive. So we see that uh, Peter continues to heal people and speak out about the truth of Jesus. And Acts 4 through 8, <laughs> as if the Pharisees and Sadducees were done, because of course not, because they thought they had squashed everything with Jesus. But here comes Peter and John in boldness just to preaching up a storm. Of course, what got to the Sadducees was the resurrection. They didn't believe in that. And Peter and John were like, yeah, but Jesus was resurrected and like tons of people saw him. So there's that. So the Sanhedrin was reconvened about this. And while they were utterly shocked and dismayed that Peter and John were uneducated working folks speaking on such things, they couldn't do much to threaten them, but to tell them to stop. <laughs> no. In fact, they thought because of you, Pharisees and Sadducees, we're going to pray harder and be more bold. So there. Now, when reading about Ananias and Sapphira, keep in mind that the issue wasn't that they wanted to keep their money. They were more than welcome to do so. It was that they lied about it and they tried to get away with it with God. Just keep that in mind for any future thoughts you may have. Of course, after this, the Sadducees come back because why not? As if anything was going to stop them. Um, but it didn't work. In chapter six, we see the beginning of deacons. And some 2000 years later, we are still following their wisdom in needing these men, what character these men must possess and how they're to help. Uh, I do have to say personally, if you ever get to watch a ceremony where a new deacon is chosen and the laying on of hands, it is just a pure blessing to watch. Unfortunately, sadly, just after Stephen is chosen for the job of deacon, he is seized and martyred and he is the first martyr of Christ. But what an exit. The speech that they could not argue against, 
all the points made, and all because they hated the truth. And this was also an example of how following Christ can cost us our earthly life, but we will be with God in heaven. After this, this is when we meet Saul, who approved of this killing. Ah, but that will change. But before we get to Saul's story, we see that Philip went to Samaria and taught about Jesus there, and it filled them with joy. Then we meet a guy, Simon the Sorcerer, who's using power from Satan. Kelly, side note, I do believe in magic. I do believe in dark arts. And because of passages in the Bible, which many of us have now read through, I believe all are done by power given by Satan. The reason we are to stay away from this is not because it is good or God is keeping it from us. It is because while it looks good, it is full on deception and comes straight from hell itself. Word of warning. Now, the reason Simon wanted to know about Jesus is because he wanted whatever would give him more skills and power in his sorcery, not to truly know Jesus as his savior. And that is why Peter rebukes him so harshly that it scares Simon. Then we meet a eunuch from Ethiopia who's reading out of Isaiah, which all of this was huge as the man had clearly had money to a kingdom, which meant he was highly respected and trusted by the king, and he had paper containing the book of Isaiah, which was incredibly costly. And yet here he is for Philip to witness to him and explain what the man was reading. After the man, Azotus, receives Christ, he is baptized, and then Philip is taken away. The man went on rejoicing and spreading the gospel everywhere he went. And I just want to say this should be a lesson to all of us to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with others and watch in pure joy when they are given eternal life and they share that with others. To be a part of that is just unbelievable. So may we all remember that, especially when we're scared. Anyway, this is where we end today. If you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com, and I will see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.